you don't want to miss the opportunity to get out while you still can. Good morning, welcome. We're so glad you're here. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Long Hill Chapel. Hey, before we get started today, as we continue in our series, I want to make a special recognition. Uh, One of the things here at Long Hill Chapel uh, that has always been a part of our DNA is worldwide missions, which is taking the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, not only declaring it here locally, here in Chatham and Madison and New Providence and all the surrounding communities, but literally to the very ends of the earth. And so we have for our entire existence as a church, uh, we've partnered with missionaries to do that in a variety of different ways. And today, I just would love to uh, acknowledge a couple of our missionaries who are with us this morning, Chuck and Cindy Harper. They're right here. Could you guys stand? And we just want to acknowledge them. Thank you for being with us today. And Chuck and Cindy serve in New Mexico, and they serve with an organization called Across Nations. And the mission of Across Nations is to equip Native America to exalt Jesus, encounter his goodness, and extend his kingdom across all nations. And so they do that in a whole bunch of different ways. There's a radio station. There's a Christian school. uh, They develop and partner with churches and plant churches, and there's community outreach. And so Chuck and Cindy, thank you for being partners of Long Hill Chapel for many, many, many years. And friends, I would love for you, after they're right here, you've seen what they look like. Uh, they won't escape quickly. Uh, go up and, and introduce yourself. Get to know them a little bit. Ask about their ministry. Ask how we can be praying for them and how we can be supporting them in all of the different ways that that's possible. And thank you so much for being with us today. Well, we have been in a series, and by the way, Steve, I'm ringing pretty good, so just pull my levels down a little bit, please. Uh, we've been in a series uh, called The Story We Find Ourselves In, which has been a, a, a series through some of the many parables uh, that Jesus taught in the Gospels in his earthly ministry. And a parable is simply a story that has been specifically constructed to drive home a point. And so we continue today with a parable about counting the cost. You know, I think in all of our lives, there's things where we have been aware of moments where we are signing on for something. And sometimes that ends up in a good place, and sometimes it ends up in uh, ways that we never could have imagined uh, that we regret and we look back at later and wish we could change and wish we could undo and all of the things that that, that looks like. I remember there was this one time I bought this uh, new used car. Uh, we don't really buy a lot of new cars in our house. We try to buy used ones. But I bought this car and I thought it was going to be a great car and I'm not going to out the make and model of the car. If you want to know later, I do have opinions about this subject. But it was great. It was comfortable. It did all the things I wanted. I'd heard a few things about the reliability issues that might incur, but I thought maybe I I could beat the odds. And so I got this car and it was super great and it was super comfortable and I enjoyed it. And I'm like, I'm going to beat the odds and not be one of the statistics. And before long, things, silly, crazy, infuriating things started to go wrong. Silly, crazy, infuriating, expensive things started to go wrong. Like there was a point where the alarm, and you know those car alarms where the horn just honks repeatedly? It would just go off as I was driving down the road. And so I'd be driving through my sleepy little town in Long Hill Township, New Jersey, and the horn would just be going off, and everybody would be looking at me like, who is that fool and what's wrong with him? And I figured out you could like pop a fuse out and pop it back in and make it work. Uh, But at some point, like I just had had enough. And so I ended up trading the car in at a significant loss for something else. But there's a cost sometimes that we think we're going to encounter, and then there's a cost that we don't know that we're going to incur. 
There's been a few other moments in my life. I remember, and I love talking about this if you're new here at Long Hill Chapel, my wife Grace and I were married in this church uh, 23 years and change ago. And I remember being back in this back hallway looking out the first window uh, over the parking lot a few minutes before I was to walk out this door and to be married to my wife. And I remember sitting there and just pausing in that moment, recognizing that everything in my life before was now going to change. There was this dividing line where everything that I'd been, I'd been single, I'd been free, you know, I was in love, we saw a future together, but there was a cost associated with that because whenever you do something like that, you leave something to embrace something else. You leave a way of living behind and you embrace a way of living in front of you, and you believe that the benefits are going to outweigh the cost, that it's going, to, it's going to matter, it's going to be worth it. I did the same thing when both of my children were born, and maybe you did this too. I remember those, as a dad, those moments outside the delivery room, just like before we had our first son, Christopher, and I would just sit there, and I actually have some selfies on my phone. I always, with each kid, I took a picture of me garbed up in all the things that uh, they, they make you wear, and I won't inflict those on you today, uh, but just knowing that life was going to change, that there was a cost to being a parent. And parents, you know that this. if you're going to be a parent, you're going to engage. There's a significant cost, but there's such a reward and a benefit, not only because of the love that you give and receive, but because of the ability to release a young person into the world. And so whether you realize it or not, there's a price tag to every decision you make, get this, or don't make with your life. So there's the decisions you're making, but sometimes you're avoiding a decision, and by avoiding that decision, you are also making a decision. So Tom, sometimes, you know, there's this thing you know you ought to do. You went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you've got to do this, this, and this, and you just have avoided it. You've, you've said, I've made it this far. Why don't I keep going? And so when you don't make a decision, there's actually a decision that you've already made. So we're always making decisions. And in essence, every time you make one of these calculated decisions, small ones or big ones like we've talked about, you're trading something for something else. So you're trading your resources, your time, your energy, your passion in the hopes of getting something else in return. When all of you go to work, I mean, there's some of us who love our jobs and it's just like if they didn't send home a paycheck, you'd be sort of okay with that as long as you could eat and live indoors. But what we are always doing is we're making a calculation and saying, I'm going to trade my time, I'm going to trade my passion, and I'm going to get resources in return. And those resources, by the way, are not an end unto themselves. They're always a means to something greater. And it's important that we understand exactly what it is that we're trading. You know, what's interesting is when we're young, we trade our lives for resources. We work hard. We stay late. We don't go on vacations. We, you know, we push to the deadline. We do whatever it takes, and that's especially true here in New Jersey. But when we're older, we do the opposite. We trade our resources for lives. Some of you have had a parent or a, you know, a, a brother or sister or a friend who's been towards the end of their life, and so all these things you've accumulated, you're now trying to put into play to buy as much time as possible. And it's in those moments that we reflect and we ask the question of whether this has been worth it or not. And this morning, I would love for us to get a jump on that, not only as it relates to our lives, but as it relates to our journey of faith with Jesus. What are the things I'm trading my life for? What are the things that you're trading your life for? There's a few questions that you can do about this. 
Now, so there's something you're saying, I'm taking my life, I'm taking my passion, I'm taking my time, I'm taking my days, I'm taking my years, I'm taking the investment of my heart and my mind, I'm taking my gifts, and I'm trading them for something, and I'm hoping to get something in return. What am I hoping to get in return? I think the thing that is so sobering about this is very often we just go through the motions with this. We do what culture around us or the people around us or the circumstances around us tell us we ought to do. And so we trade our lives away and we hope we're getting something in return. But it's incredibly important and incredibly relevant for us to ask the question, what am I actually getting? So there's this thing I keep hoping I'm going to get. And maybe it's not the thing that you would say on the surface that you're getting. Maybe it's recognition. Maybe it's the approval of a parent who's not even here anymore. Maybe it's this thing that you're chasing. And you're getting something, but it's not the thing that you hope that you're getting. And it is incredibly important for us, as we consider our lives, to ask ourselves these questions. Now, I'm going somewhere as this relates to our journey in faith. But even if you're not a person of faith and you happened in the church this morning because you heard we give out free chocolate and we have coffee that doesn't cost you anything, first of all, thank you so much for being here. We're glad that you came. This is a principle that applies to all of our lives. Every single last one of us, this is a principle that we can apply everywhere in our relationships, in our jobs, in the way that we spend our days. And unless we're incredibly clear about the answers to these three questions, we kind of bump through lives, our lives at the whims of all sorts of other things. Other people, our employers, our culture, our internal desires, the anxieties that drive some of us, chasing after our hopes and running from our fears. It's not a great way to live. The uh, ancient philosopher Socrates has this very famous short quote he said this, he said, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. And most of us are saying, hey, I'm in church, I'm examining my life, I'm here. But what happens so often is the pace of our lives and the demands of our lives, and there's so many different ways that that looks, it has us just running from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing, and we never slow down and reflect on where this is actually taking us because our lives are always taking us somewhere. And there's a journey that we're on. And as I said, this is a principle that's not just a Christian principle or a spiritual principle. This is a principle that is at work in all of our lives. And so we've been in this series called The Story We Find Ourselves In. And it's the series about the parables of Jesus. But these are stories that he told to his ancient audience. But they're also stories that we find ourselves in. And so today, we're going to read from the Gospel of Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 25. And it goes like this. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Full stop, right there. Why were large crowds traveling with Jesus? Because he did cool stuff. Like he raised people, he fed people, he healed people. There was always cool stuff happening when you followed Jesus around. And so everybody was like, man, this is like the you know, Taylor Swift era's tour of the ancient world. And so I'm going to follow this guy around because something cool is likely to happen when I do. And that's where a lot of us start with Jesus. And we start saying, you know, I will trade my time and I'll follow this guy because I think some cool stuff's going to happen in my life. It's not a bad place to start, but it's not a great place to end. 
And so Jesus kind of does the counterintuitive thing. You know, he doesn't really speak to the crowd. He, he turns and he says this incredibly awkward, difficult statement. And this is like not the first time he did this. Jesus was always in the habit of saying, he wasn't like, peace, my child. You know, he was saying these incredibly difficult, awkward things. And he says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, don't worry, we're going to come back to that, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So he kind of gives two statements, and then he illustrates with two different pictures. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees you will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. You know, if you start a home renovation project, you want to make sure you can not only get from the beginning, but you can get all the way to the end. I don't know if you've ever been to someone's house where it's always in a constant state of construction. And you look around and say, this is a temporary place, but this is not a place that you want to end. And Jesus paints another picture. He says, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And so Jesus has these two line-in-the-sand declarations and then the two examples that follow them. And so there's all these people who are following Jesus who said, I've got my life, and this seems like a great addition to my life. Going to this show seems like a great addition to my life as it exists. Have you ever had to make a declaration? Some of you have little kids, and there's those moments where you're like, don't make me stop the car. Don't make me turn around. There's this line in the sand where you have to get the attention of whoever is supposed to be traveling with you. And this, these declarations that Jesus makes, they just seem awfully off-putting. And they almost seem kind of cult-like. You know, hate my brothers and my sisters and my husband and my wife. How does that square with the other words in the scriptures that talk about honoring our father and our mother? That's literally one of the Ten Commandments. Or the places where husbands are commanded to love their wives. Or the places where Jesus says in the Gospels that anyone who welcomes a child, a child welcomes him. This is where understanding the cultural context of these words is so incredibly important. You know, in our own English language, we have all sorts of euphemisms. We have things like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was not a ton of bricks that hit you. You would be dead if a ton of bricks hit you. But it's this illustration of a principle, and that's really kind of what this is. It's a euphemism in the ancient world and in the ancient culture, and it's a figure of speech that denotes having to make a choice for something at the expense of something else. So it's saying, I have to make a decision, and it's an either-or decision. It's not a both-and decision. So when he's saying, you know, you have to hate these people who you're supposed to love, it doesn't mean you actually go off and hate them, but it does mean that there are points in our lives when it comes to us following Jesus where we have to make a decision that's an either-or decision. 
But there's something that happens with this particular or. And when you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that you now are leaving behind all of those other things. You know, we still have marriages and we still have kids and we still have families and we still have jobs and we still have the lives that I believe God has given us to live. We don't just go into a commune somewhere and bolt the doors and wait for the end to come. But what we do is we let that relationship frame every single thing else. It changes our perspectives on how we see all of those other things, all of those other places where we are constantly beckoned to trade something for something else. And it's like having Jesus as a foundation rather than a decoration. It's like having Jesus as the foundation of what you're building rather than this thing that you just kind of put on the wall somewhere and if something happens to it or if it doesn't make it there, it's not a big deal. Think about that in your house. The foundation is incredibly important. It holds up everything else. There's nothing, nobody goes down in the basement, at least maybe you don't, you're, you're not marveling, you're like, look at this foundation, it's amazing. You wanna live in the house. But the thing that matters is that the foundation is secure. A couple times when my wife Grace and I were purchasing homes, we would go walk through and we would see cracks in the foundation. And it didn't matter how good the tile in the bathroom was at that point. It didn't matter any of the other things. It didn't matter how much we liked the layout. There was something that was fundamentally compromised about the house. And every single time, we would walk away. And so Jesus is foundational. He's not just a garnish that we add on to everything else we've already done. Our relationship with God is the one that frames every other relationship. And so there's this choice that we have to make. So Jesus' first declaration is there's this either-or decision. You're either going to follow Jesus or you're going to follow everything else. You can't kind of just go do what you're doing, throw some Jesus on top, and not end up just following all of those other things. And then there's the second declaration. Bleh, declaration. I can say that word this morning that we see. He says, carry your cross and follow me. And so Jesus points ahead to the end of his earthly journey where he is going to literally carry a cross. There's always a, I hate to say it this way, but it's the only way I can say it. When we follow Jesus, we are dying to something so that we can live to something else. We are dying to a way of living so that we can go live in a new way, in a better way, in a resurrected way. And so there's this path, this burden that we carry. And when we pick that up, it means that we have to pick it up with empty hands. So there's other things that we end up having to put down so that we can take this up. Think about the word carry when you're carrying something. It's also, it's active and it's ongoing, right? Like if I'm carrying a bag, I can't just like stop carrying a bag and still be carrying it. It will literally fall to the ground. I didn't need to tell you that. That's how gravity works. So it's something we do on and on. It's something we do over and over. And I want to speak just very briefly to those of us who have been on the journey of faith for a while. What we do sometimes is we fool ourselves into thinking that carrying our cross is something we did back there. It's something we did back there in the beginning. It was a singular decision that we made. And now we can just kind of go on and do what we're doing 
And Jesus doesn't call us continually to die to our understanding, to die to our presumptions about how life is. Because that's Jesus as a decoration, not a foundation. And so what we do very often, those of us who've been at this a while, is we just assume Jesus is pretty cool with all of the things that we've already decided about religion, about relationships, about people. It's amazing how God doesn't like the same people we don't like. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Who knew? Who knew we could be so dead on? Or maybe we should consider whether we have stopped picking up our cross, setting down our presumptions, our preconceptions, the frame of our understanding, and I would say, friends, even the frame of our religious understanding and following after Jesus. We like the Jesus that we can ask to bless our food and give us a hedge of protection and give us traveling mercies, and he's kind of this cosmic vending machine. But that's not who Jesus was. And that's not who he was to the crowds who desperately wanted him to be all sorts of things. He said, all of these things that you're following me for, those are a great starting point, but there's so much more to this, and you have to get on the journey with who I am. Let me be the foundation and let it change everything else. And when we confuse this, it leads us into all sorts of trouble, consumption, overreach, a religion that oppresses rather than a Jesus who liberates. Jesus, friends, did not come to bless our understanding of life. He came to break the chains that we find ourselves bound with, that sometimes we bind ourselves with, and to set us free. But that requires us to open our hands, to release what we're carrying, and to pick up the way of Jesus and follow him which is a burden, which is a weight, but it is a road that leads to life. So there's this postscript in this parable. It's a few verses we haven't gotten to yet, where it seems like Jesus kind of takes a swerve in a different direction. It goes like this in verse 34. It says, salt is good. And everybody's like, wait, what? what? Do you have one of those friends who changes the subject very often? Like, sometimes when I listen to myself back, I'm like, you started a thought here, and you kind of left it, and you wandered over here for a while, and maybe you came back, and maybe you didn't. That's kind of what this is like. It just seems like a swerve, but it's kind of the frame for everything he's just said. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears, let them what Jesus is not doing here is weighing in on condiments that go on your table. He uses the picture of salt, and it's not the first time he's done it, by the way. It's just one of those illustrations that he uses over and over again. So who's the salt here? What is the salt? We're the salt. Because other, other places in the scriptures, it says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so if we're not fundamentally different, if we lose our saltiness, what on earth is the point? Just like if you had some salt and you dumped it on something and nothing changed, you'd be like, what's wrong with the salt? You'd throw it away. What did salt do in the ancient world and what does it do now? Salt flavors, 
Salt cleanses. Salt preserves. Salt flavors. It brings flavor to a tasteless world. It cleanses. It promotes healing. If you've ever had a sore in your mouth, it's uncomfortable and it's not fun, but one of the best things you can do is gargle with salt water. Some of you just winced just a little bit, just like I did. And it also preserves. It keeps away decay. It keeps away things that would cause it to spoil. And friends, that's who you and I are called to be in this world. But if we live just like everybody else, with Jesus kind of tacked on the wall as a decoration, that never happens. It doesn't happen for us, and it doesn't flow out of this place. It doesn't flow out of these seats into the communities around us that changes, that brings taste where there's tastelessness, that brings preservation where there's decay decay that brings healing where there's disease. That's who you and I have come called to be. When Jesus is our foundation, when we build our lives here, our lives are flavor, they're preserving, they're holding together, and they bring healing. Now, here's where this gets incredibly personal and uncomfortable for us. If you want to know the kind of life that you're living, look behind you. If you want to know the kind of life that you're living, look at what you're leaving in your wake. You know, for all of us, there's situations we can't control. There's relationships that didn't go the way we hoped. There's circumstances that didn't end up the way that we wanted them to end up. But over time, there's a pattern that begins to emerge in our lives. And if you look behind you and you don't like what you see, humbly, I ask you to consider what your life has been built Humbly, I ask you to do that. If you look and you see broken relationships, you see dysfunction, you see all sorts of stuff, I know not all of that is all of our responsibilities, but look in the mirror. Friends, that's one of the things for our church that I'm constantly praying for, constantly reflecting on. What is the trail that we as a church are leaving behind us? What is the trail that we as a people are leaving behind us? Are we calling people to a difficult road because following Jesus is difficult, but is it a road that leads us to life? Or is it a road that leads us somewhere else? The good news, though, friends, is that if you don't like what you see, today can be the day for you to pick up your cross, follow after Jesus, and move in a new direction. So this has sounded like a lot of work, as these parables often do. But here's the other part I don't want us to miss as we close. There's a payoff, too. This isn't the reason we do it, but there's something that happens in our lives when we do. Remember what I said very back at the beginning. Whenever you make a decision in your life, you're effectively trading something for something else. And so when we follow Jesus, it's good for us to ask and answer the question of what are we trading? What are we trading away and what are we receiving as a result? What are we putting down so that we can take up something else? 
And I just want to remind you of some of the things that the scripture says that Jesus gives us, that God gives us when we make this exchange. Sometimes we come to points in our lives where all we have is ashes. We have the broken things in our lives. And you know what the scripture says? He gives us what? Beauty for ashes. There might be a relationship or a circumstance or a struggle that you've had and it just feels like, you know, the fire has burned through and you're, you're picking through the rubble and you're trying to make sense of it. Jesus is the one who gives you beauty for ashes. He also tells us that sorrow might last for a season. It might last for a night, but there's this thing that comes when we're in Jesus. Joy comes in the morning. So some of you are you're in the season of sorrow and it feels endless to you. You look back and there's sorrow. You look ahead and there's all these things you don't know. But if you've built your life on Jesus, you can hold on to the hope with certainty that joy will come. It might not be happiness. It might not be the picture that we would have wanted. But joy is ours. God takes things that are desolate where there's nothing growing and he makes them fruitful. He takes all the places in our lives where they seem hopeless and he himself is our hope. There's times where we look at our lives or our circumstances and they just seem like they have no meaning. God is the one who brings purpose in those places. And in an uncertain world, and I don't know about you, but the world seems more uncertain at times than ever before. Our hope is built on a foundation that will not be shaken. We are not building our houses on the sand, as it says in the scriptures. We can build our house on the rock, and that rock is Jesus. And the list goes on and on and on. So in conclusion, as we close today, what are you trading your life for? What are the things, whether you know it or not, whether you're doing it consciously or unconsciously, you're saying, I'm trading my life for this thing that I hope that I'm getting. What is that thing that you hope are you, that you're getting and are you actually getting it? And in the midst of that dynamic, where might Jesus be calling you to lay that down, pick up his way, and follow him? It could be a way of thinking can be a relationship. It can be something that you've been clinging to for security or for meaning. But when we count that cost, we make that exchange. We choose Christ. You're building your life in a place where no rain, no storm, no circumstance, even the powers of hell itself cannot separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. And in that, you are secure. Because unlike all those other things that seem so uncertain, Jesus is the one who lasts. So consider the cost. Consider the decision, the either-or decision that Jesus might be calling you to somewhere in your life. You've been trying to make it a both and. You've been trying to say, I want to hold on to this and I also want Jesus. But Jesus is saying there's a road up ahead that divides and it goes into two directions and you can't just sit there. You have to make a decision, but then in faith, begin to walk on that road and know that as you do, you don't walk it alone. You walk it with the one who not only saves your soul, 
but gives meaning and purpose to every single day from here until eternity when we're joined together with all those who've gone before around his throne to worship him. And in that, we have incredibly hope. We have incredible security. And that's the story we find ourselves in. Would you pray with me? Jesus, in any room this size, there's a multitude of small ways and big ways that this simple parable from so long ago impacts our lives. I pray that we would be a people, we'd be individuals who aren't just content to bounce through life at the whims of other people, the culture around us, the demands of others, the hurdles that we think we need to jump over. But we would consider how we're living, the trades that we're making, the exchanges that we're making, the places where we're trading one thing, hoping to get another, that we'd let you into that calculation. And even as you ask us to open our hands, maybe it's this thing we've been striving for and we're striving and striving and hoping and hoping and it still just seems out of reach. Or maybe we've achieved what we thought we were supposed to get and it just found itself to be empty. Maybe it's a decision for the first time today to follow you, to acknowledge that you're Savior, that you're Lord, that you came to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, and to give us standing as one of your sons and daughters, a hope that can never be shaken. I pray whatever that decision is, you'd make it clear to us, then you'd give us the courage walk in that direction. Or maybe if we've started on the journey and it's just become uncertain and the storm clouds have come up on the horizon and the future just seems unclear. You'd reassure us as we walk with you that you're with us and that we're on the road that leads to life. We thank you for our time together. Holy Spirit, be at work in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back the world behind me the world behind me the cross before me the world behind me the cross before me the world behind me the cross before me no turning back no turning back though none though none go with me 
still I will follow Though none go with me Still I will follow Though none go with me Still I will follow No turning, no turning back No turning back I have decided I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back. You know, as we face those things, we look at our lives, and I know sometimes the price just seems so high to make that kind of a change, to let that thing go, to pick up the way of Jesus. Friends, I can promise you that if you'll just give him a chance, if you'll just do that step of faith, take that step that seems so insurmountable, that Jesus will meet you right there. And when you look back on your life, it may not have gone the way that you thought it was going to go. Your circumstances may not all suddenly snap into focus in the way that you hoped that they would. But you'll see a life that was worth it. And you'll see a hope build in you that flows out to the world that cannot be shaken by circumstance, by the news, by the things around us and it's worth it. This morning, as every Sunday, we have a prayer team up here. They're immediately to my right, to your left. Uh, There's just our, our, our great joy to be able to pray with you, maybe something you've heard or something that you're struggling through or maybe something that's completely unrelated. After I give the benediction, you can feel free to come on up and our, our folks here would love to pray with you. Everything that you say here is confidential. It goes nowhere. They're trained and it's just our honor to be able to serve you in any way that we can. But now as we go and as we follow Jesus in all of the small ways and big ways that he's called us to do, I pray that the Lord would bless you. I pray that the Lord would keep you. I pray that the Lord would cause his face to shine upon you. And I pray that the Lord would look upon you with his favor and give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks so much for being with us. Have a good week. We'll see you soon.